0: Hello, and welcome to the Potential Psychology Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Jackson, and it's my mission to share the science of human behavior in a practical, fun, and inspiring way. In each podcast episode, I interview an expert from the fields of psychology, well-being, leadership, parenting, or high performance. I pick their brain to uncover what they know about living well, what tips do they have for you and I, and I quiz them about how they apply their expertise in their own life. Join me as we discover simple science-backed ways to live, learn, flourish, and fulfill your potential. Hello, and thank you for joining me for episode 99 of the Potential Psychology Podcast. If this is the first time joining me on the show, Welcome. It's great to have you here. If you're a long-time listener, it's always wonderful to have you here. As I'm recording this, much of Australia, in fact, 60% of Australia is in lockdown. Thousands of us are even further constrained by being in isolation, so unable to even leave the house due to potential exposure to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. It is tough, all over again, and so given that that's what we're dealing with, or what so many of us are dealing with right now, I've decided to share something that has made an enormous difference to my well-being and my ability to handle any and all of the challenges that come my way, whether that's the ups and downs and moods associated with COVID chaos, the stress of a heavy workload, the complexities of parenting and relationships, pain, illness the stress of self-imposed high expectations and perfectionist tendencies, really everything that makes life hard sometimes. It's something that we've certainly mentioned here on the show before, and it does fit nicely with our three things theme. That's something I'm reading, something I've learned, and something I'm doing to fulfill my potential because it hits each of those targets, and it's comprised of three elements itself. I am talking about self-compassion. So first up, what do we mean when we talk about self-compassion? Well, it's really exactly that. It's having compassion for yourself in the same way that you might have compassion for others. So treating yourself as you would treat others, speaking to yourself as you would speak to others, and really expecting only from yourself what you might expect of others in the same circumstances. Now, there's nothing magical about this. It is just being kind to yourself, But just because it's simple doesn't necessarily make it easy, does it? Like many things in life, especially to do with human behaviour. So... Digging into it a little bit, leading self-compassion researcher Kristen Neff gives this example of what self-compassion is. She says that instead of mercilessly judging and criticising yourself for various inadequacies or shortcomings, self-compassion means you are kind and understanding when confronted by challenges and perceived failings. After all, whoever said you were supposed to be perfect? Perfect. And according to Neff and the research, there are three elements to this self-compassion piece. One is what's called common humanity, which I really like. So this is reminding yourself that when you are struggling and suffering, that you're not alone in that, that struggle and suffering in little things and in big things is really just part of being human, especially at the moment. So I kind of use this idea as a means of self-forgiveness, I guess. When I mess up or I'm not my best self, I'm stressed or I'm cranky or I'm feeling really down, I remind myself that I am human. And no human is perfect. We all make mistakes. We're all messy. And sometimes we just get stuff wrong. We don't do things as we perhaps like to. We are not our best selves and that's all okay. So understanding that that's just part of being human and reminding yourself of that is the essence really of this one component of self-compassion being common humanity. The second element of self-compassion is a form of mindfulness. So this is about being mindful of our thoughts and our emotions, noticing our difficult and positive thoughts and emotions, but not getting hooked into them. So not pushing them away or resisting them or resenting them or pretending they're not happening, not what we call over-identifying them, which is sort of getting hooked into them and believing that... This is all that life is, is the series of feelings that we have and getting swept up in them so that they do completely absorb us and take us down a really negative spiral of distress, which is what sometimes happens. Instead of that, it's just noticing and acknowledging them. It's a feeling. Feelings come, feelings go. They can't really do anything to us. And I know that's a hard one to get your mind wrapped around, but when we do, it is incredibly liberating. And the third piece of this self-compassion puzzle, and maybe the most helpful to me, is self-kindness versus self-judgment. So this means just being warm and understanding towards ourselves when we suffer or fail or feel inadequate, rather than ignoring our pain and flagellating ourselves with criticism, which we all do. So self-compassionate people recognise that being imperfect, failing, And experiencing difficulties and challenge in life is inevitable. So they try to be gentle with themselves rather than getting angry with themselves or with life when it inevitably falls short of our ideals. And rather than railing against the unfairness of a situation like being in lockdown or getting angry with yourself for not being able to cope or succeed or get things done in lockdown the way you normally would or you feel you should and this is speaking from personal experience here, the self-compassionate person accepts the reality of the situation with a bit of sympathy and a bit of kindness. You know, this is really crappy and you're just a person trying your best in a really difficult set of circumstances that we can't control and we can't change. So go gently with yourself. This self- Compassion, this self-kindness versus self-judgment. It's really, it's very similar in many ways to the notion of acceptance in an acceptance and commitment work that we have spoken a bit about on the show recently. And the suggestion or the idea, I guess, that has been most helpful to me regarding, regarding this idea of self-kindness versus self-judgment is noticing how you speak to yourself in your moments of distress and then asking yourself, Am I speaking to me in the same way I would speak to a friend? So if a friend came to me and said, look, I'm really struggling with this lockdown right now. I feel like I'm doing a really bad job of being a parent and a really bad job of doing my work and it all just feels so hard. And I just, I feel like I should be coping better and trying harder, but I just can't. If a friend came to me and said that, I wouldn't turn to that friend and say, yeah, you know what? You should be trying harder. You haven't got it so bad. Other people in the world have got it so much harder than you. You know, what are you whining about? But that's the kind of thing. That we might hear ourselves say to ourselves. We wouldn't say it to a friend, but we say it to ourselves. And when we do that, that's that self-criticism, that's that self-judgment. And when we don't do that, when we do consider the way we're speaking to ourselves and speak to ourselves with the same kind of kindness and compassion and care that we would speak to someone else, then that's what helps, you know, (laughs) instead of saying something like that, you know, in that circumstance, if somebody came to me and said that instead of that kind of, critical judgmental way that we speak to ourselves i'd i'd like to think that i'd say something like you know what this is hard right now it's really hard none of us have lived through a global pandemic before you know you're doing your best you are doing the best you can we all are you know why don't you go and take some time out go for a walk have a break have a cry if you need to you know go to bed early tomorrow's another day and when we speak to ourselves like that that is showing self-compassion and trust me, it feels so much better and so much kinder and it leads to much less ongoing emotional distress than that tendency we all have to beat ourselves up. So with that in mind... We're now turning to today's conversation with my guest. And while we're talking at one level about work and business and the benefits of working with a virtual assistant, on a whole other level, we're talking about being human at work and the critical role that values and connection and heart and self-compassion play in getting things done and feeling good about what we do. We're talking really about being kind to yourself, recognising that you're human and knowing when to let go to grow. Okay, with me today, coming to you from Sydney, we are in mutual lockdown between Sydney and Victoria today, (laughs) is Christy Smith. And Christy is the owner of and founder of Virtual Elves, which is a virtual assistant organization. She can tell you all about that, but I will declare my interest here because my two wonderful assistants who, distressingly for my children, are in fact real people. When I call them virtual assistants, I think they're imagining holograms or something. (laughs) They are wonderful real people. They're just not here in Australia with us and they have both come to me via virtual elves and Christy and her business. And We're going to chat today about virtual and remote working, because that's topical right now. We're going to talk a little bit about having to deal with the challenges of lockdown and global pandemics and how you run a business under those circumstances when you're also a parent and you're juggling all the challenges of kids at home. And we're going to talk a little bit about resilience and what it takes emotionally and psychologically to get through all of those challenges. So welcome, Christy. It's so lovely to have you here.
1: Thank you, Ellen. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely seeing your journey with using the virtual assistants that we've uh, managed to pair you with. And so it's nice to actually be on a call with you and talking about that in the broader sense.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No, look, it's been, Jay has been with me now for, it's been more than three years, I think. Yeah, Maybe even four, I can't remember. And Sherry joined us in the midst of the pandemic, which we might talk a little bit about and people's Mm. need perhaps for more assistance or what was happening with businesses that use not just virtual assistants, remote staff, but all businesses and their challenges in 2020. But before we do all of that, can you tell us a little bit about Virtual Else? How does it work? Where do you operate? How do you operate? And where did it all start?
1: Well, <laughs> it's a long story. We don't have that much time, but, but the short part of the story is that I worked for many years in customer service roles, so managing hospitals, five-star hotels, customer service in that, food and beverage outlets, that sort of thing. So lots of training, lots of staff hiring, and lots of, you know, bringing people together to service customers, basically. And I had two small children, hadn't yet started primary school, and I just felt that working in corporate as I was at the time, it was really straining on my ability to be flexible for my kids. And I knew that I didn't have kids so that I could, you know, be off, not sort of catching those milestones. And so I decided before my daughter started school that I wanted to do something a little bit different and I wanted to be at home. And so I started to think about what skills I had and I jumped online and found an article talking about virtual assistants out of the UK. And I was really fascinated by that because, you know, 11 or 12 years ago when I thought about doing this there really wasn't an industry in Australia for virtual assistants. And most people, most businesses didn't actually know what it meant or even the term virtual assistant. Even nowadays, I'm still coming across people that don't understand what that means. And so at that point, I decided that I'd give it a go. And with the support of my husband, I said, I'm dropping out of my five day a week job and I'm going to spend more time with the kids and try to build this business. And so for the first three years I did that and it was all very lovely, but it didn't really make me much money because it was just me and I was I only had a certain number of hours available. And so I decided at that point, probably two years into the business that I needed to think differently. And I was pretty resourceful and I jumped online. And at that time it was called Odesk. It was an online freelancer platform. And I jumped on and I found a virtual assistant in the Philippines and I sort of said, "Hmm, maybe she could help me do some small parts of the business that would help me scale and grow a little bit more beyond where I was. And so Cherry has been with me for 10 years now. She's still with me and she manages our whole team out in the Philippines. And from there it just grew and we just kind of started building different elements of the business, graphic design, web development, those sorts of things that kind of allowed us to bring more clients on board and more resources into the fold. We now have 32 virtual assistants out of the Philippines and we're a home-based Model. So all of our team work from home, which has been absolutely incredible during this pandemic because the Philippines got hit very hard. So very, very lucky that we were able to sustain our business uh, and support our clients without any hiccups at all. And so
0: just making sure that I'm really clear and that our listeners are really clear. So when you started, you were the assistant. Is that the case? You were supporting. Yeah. So, you know, who, who hires, I, I know who <laughs> hires a virtual assistant, what they use them for, but yeah. from your point of view, who hires a virtual assistant and, and how do they use them? How does it work?
1: Yeah. Well, back then I was working for IP lawyers and I was doing a traditional executive assistant or personal assistant role. So I was going into their office, helping them. I was doing some work from home and it just made me realize there was a lot more that I could be doing from home that would alleviate the travel time the you know the idle time sitting in the office those sorts of things so the types of things i think that work really well for businesses hiring a virtual assistant are things like social media and digital marketing so anything that you can do online to you know support your business so instagram facebook all of those social media posts you know Podcast editing, you know, getting podcasts organized, YouTube, putting um, videos onto YouTube, your typical personal assistant, executive assistant things. So we're not traveling at the moment, obviously, but booking travel was one of those things and hotels, managing events, supporting a sales team with CRM data entry you know, those sorts of things. Data entry is a really good skill. Customer service is becoming really huge as well as we deal with more businesses going online. So, if you've got an e-commerce site, for example, you need somebody to help you manage the fulfillment of any orders that are coming through. Yes, you'll have a warehousing, but you might have a customer service portal where customers are asking you questions. Having a VA to actually manage that that for you is a really great use of their skills graphic design web development managing and maintaining your website managing and maintaining updates to brochures to all of your you know marketing materials those sorts of things things like Canva and all these free tools that we use now have really helped us be able to do a lot of this ourselves which of course, traps us into thinking we need to do it ourselves, which isn't the case, we can actually offload a lot of those tasks.
0: Mm. One of the simplest, but to me, life-changing tasks <laughs> that my one of my VA, Shari, does for me is she just manages my inbox. Yeah. So the email comes in and she sorts it in different places and the things that I need to action, she puts into a task list. And so I can log on to my email and go, oh, look, it's all gone. <laughs> all of that stuff that kind of contributes to that mental load oh yeah. you know I've got to crawl to through this pick out the find the things I've got to you know the bills I've got to pay the things that are important mm. and it's all just sorted for me magically sometimes overnight while I'm sleeping and Perfect. I get up in the morning and I have this <laughs> task list and everything's all organized so I, I absolutely can sing the praises of having a virtual team to assist with those sorts of things and it's interesting that you say that Christy about this mentality this idea that we have because I think a lot of us and I I was trapped in it for a long time. When we start, say, a business or a side business, whatever it might be, that we need to keep doing it all ourselves because we're the only ones who know how to do it. What Mm. do you say to people when they're sort of in of that? Because this applies to lots of things in life, not just how we manage to work task, this idea that I'm the only one who really knows how to do it, therefore there's no point in trying to delegate it to somebody else.
1: Yeah, and it is. And that's where mindset comes in, right? That's where mindset is so important and it's such a challenge. You know, I, I struggle with it every day now even. There's certain things that, you know, I don't want to let go of because I don't think anybody else can do it. But the reality is that someone can do most things. Yes, there are absolutely some things that people can't do that is your area of expertise or your zone of genius, we call it. So, you know, absolutely things that I wouldn't let anybody else do because that's my gig. That's my thing. However, you've got to make sure that it's the best use of your time. So if you can, without a doubt, say that the thing that you're holding on to It's actually worthy of your hourly rate. So, whatever you charge out, if it's worthy of that and it's bringing in that money, then it's absolutely fine. If you're sitting wondering about whether you should change your website to blue or green and how you, you know, you're sitting fussing over it, yes, you can do it, but should you be doing it? No, you shouldn't, because Mm -hmm. that's the job of someone that you can pay $20 an hour to. So, I think the key thing is to look at it from the point of view is, is it my zone of genius? Is it the one thing that I've been put on this earth to do? Or could I actually hand that down to somebody who's going to do it 10 times faster? And and it's a bit letting go of that perfectionism, right? And that sense of needing to have control. Once you start to do it and you see that someone else can do it for you, then more often than not you're going to let go of it a lot easier. But it's that mm-hmm. getting over that barrier of, of letting somebody else do it and letting go. And I find the best way to do that is by recording a video of yourself doing it, that particular task, and then handing it over. Mm. Because if you can record a video of yourself doing it, someone else can do it. If you can't record a video and if it's something that you can't actually produce a process out of, then it's probably something that you can't let go of or you need to let go of to somebody who's specialised in that area,
0: not a VA. Absolutely. And one of the things that I found really interesting just from my own experience, but also something that, that I've now tried to use in my work developing others, is this idea that sometimes when we have the courage to let somebody else do something and we step away from it a bit, we discover that they maybe actually do it better (laughs) than the way that we did it. It won't be the same. I think that's part of that mental shift. You know, somebody else doing something, they won't do it the same way that you do it. But if you trust in the process of experimentation, the process of trying, the process of learning and just say, right, you know, this isn't the way I would do it, but let's just put it out there in the world and see what happens. And time and time again, I've been surprised by how well things have been received or the kind Mm. of feedback we got or where something led to that I would not have thought of myself. And so I think this idea that we're the only ones who know how to do something and do it well is well, I've certainly discovered that it's very unhelpful Some a mindset yeah. that when we do yeah,
1: completely unhelpful,
0: yeah, try something that somebody else has suggested and it does take a little bit of courage because we make ourselves yeah. vulnerable. If it's our baby, you know, putting it something out there and going, oh, I don't know how this is going to go and it's not the way I would have done it, but let's just see what happens. Mm. It does, It it frees you up, but also you discover all sorts of new things that you might not have discovered.
1: Yeah. And I agree. And I think you can, you know, look at this in the case of having someone come and clean your house, for example. You know, I, I'm i terrible with someone cleaning my house because I, I kind of look and I go, oh, they didn't do that this week or they didn't do this this week or whatever. But then I have to take a step back every time I do that. And say, well, hang on a minute. They were here for four hours. Would I spend four hours Cleaning the house to the level that they've been able to do it, you know. And why am I complaining about this when the house is actually really beautifully clean and lovely? Am I prepared to get on my hands and knees and scrub that, you know, mold patch? No, I'm not. Mm. So step back, have a look at what's actually being done. And, you know, a lot of the time it's because you haven't told them that that area is important or you haven't given them a proper brief to say, this is what I expect. Mm. You know, you're just letting it go and then you don't tell them that or give them feedback that that's something that you didn't appreciate, you know, not being done. Mm. So that works in the same way as working with a virtual assistant, for example, because if they don't know by you not giving them feedback, then how are they ever going to improve?
0: Absolutely. So it's the key really to delegation in any kind of, whether it's outsourcing, delegating within a workplace, Mm -hmm. you know, just maintaining that communication, ensuring that you're giving... Feedback. I think the, the issue we often have with feedback, and this has been an issue I've been talking about a lot in workplaces lately, is that we kind of perceive it to be this kind of negative feedback criticism type idea. But if we reframe feedback as opportunities for improvement, for continuous improvement, mm-hmm. that there should always be this feedback loop of, you know, what did we try, what worked, what didn't work let's do more of what works, less of what didn't work and and see that as a continuous positive spiral of opportunity and Mm. and improvement, we start to see feedback differently and we're more likely to A, provide it and B, be more receptive to it when it is provided. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, Christy, let's go back to the beginning of this business. So, this was what year? So, 10, 12 years ago? 2009. 2009. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. 2009 was a long time prior to a global pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. And you were discovering already in those early days the opportunities that are involved in remote working, both for you personally, so being able to do a bit more of that flexible work-life thing with small children. But then you expanded Mm -hmm globally. How did that come about? Why the Philippines and what's it been like to grow a team in an entirely different country?
1: It's funny because I think it was just that I had a very curious mind at that point. And I was very lucky as well, because when I was working in the hospital, my CEO, when I had both of my kids, allowed me to run projects from home. So he'd already given me that sense of, you know what? I trust the way you work. I trust that you're going to engage in, you know, the work that I've given you and and I trust that you're really committed working at home in the hours that you've been given. So, he'd already shown me that it was definitely possible. And so I realized at that point that if my business was going to grow and it was going to be scalable, I needed to employ outside of Australia. And and look, from the very beginning i had 5 employees that were in australia because some of the clients that we had didn't want to go offshore it was it was still an unknown there was a lot of fear around security of information you know ip all of that sort of stuff back then and and probably warranted because there weren't a lot of measures in place or a lot of history to go by with australians working with offshore resources and so at that point I didn't have clients that had the same curiosity as me or the same trust in what I was doing. So once I'd had the first employee in the Philippines, I just had this girl who was you know, not that much younger than me. She had an entrepreneurial mind. She was very, very focused on something bigger than just working for me. So I was really lucky in that sense that I had that partner and our ideas matched, our values matched. And so we're like, right, where can we take this? What can we do with it? And a lot of the models back then were very much business processing offices, So it was very The model was the same it was bringing very very low paid workers into an office environment in the center of you know town but we found faults in that by talking with local people in the philippines that were local to the girl that i had hired to cherry and cherry we'd talk to them and they'd say you know they'd had to have to travel two and a half to three hours every day you know, to and from work. And some of them were getting paid 50 cents an hour, Australian, you know, and they had kids. And so they had to hire a nanny to look after their kids. So in the end, they were getting home. And by the end of the week, they had no money in their pocket. Mm. And I was just thinking about that going, why, why, why would you put yourself into that position? And then the reason is there just wasn't any other option, Mm. right? There wasn't anything else for them. So, Cherry and I said, what if, and Cherry was working from home, what if we just grew the at home model because it was starting to have legs? So we did. And that was very important to me because that was how I was working. And that was how a lot of the entrepreneurs that we were working with were also wanting to work. So we felt there was a really strong values match. And I think to answer your question about what's it like working with a team in the Philippines, you know, very early on, we didn't see that there was a a cultural difference in the way we were working. We were all focused on the same goal. Yes, we were locationally different, but we shared similar values. We were very focused on family and we were very focused on our customer delivery. So, you know, that didn't make a difference because we could talk like this.
0: Absolutely. And those things that you've said about the challenges of travel and certainly from working with my team, when I talk to them about whenever they have to go somewhere and both are based in Manila and it's really hard. Like we complain about Sydney and Melbourne traffic, but oh, no. yeah, it's it's a lot more complex there. Yeah. So to be able to provide people with home-based work, if there wasn't any other why would you not
1: it's one of the fastest growing industries in the philippines is is the home based worker industry and you know one of our vAs that we hired many many years ago she's been with us i think for 8 years now she started a movement called the virtual home based assistant And she's got over, I think it's something like 70,000 people that she markets to. And these are all people wanting to work from home. You know, the industry Mm. is growing and it's really huge. And, you know, I just feel very blessed that we tapped into that 10, 11 years ago because we're so established now and, you know, people can see how beautiful our community of, of girls is. They all work from all over the Philippines. But... Every single day they have their, they have a little Skype group that they chat on that is only in their own dialect. We've got another one that's English only that I chat to them with, but they've got their own and they chat all day every day and connect. And then we have a monthly catch-up where we all get on Zoom and we all talk about certain things and, and all the new VAs meet each other. So I actually think we're almost closer as a virtual community like that and we are as if they were working in an office and I was here.
0: I think this might be a question in some of our audience's mind. Why the Philippines? Why not elsewhere in the world? What What is the beauty of the Philippines?
1: Look, it's really interesting because I didn't actually, I mean, I started out with Cherry in the Philippines, but for my creative services, because when we first started the business, the creative services were basically what lifted us straight away with graphic design and web development. We actually didn't go to the Philippines for that. We went to the Eastern Bloc countries and those Eastern Bloc countries were unbelievably skilled creatives and Pakistan and India obviously are fantastic for web development as well. And so... It was just through research, through hearing, from listening to US-based and UK-based entrepreneurs as to where they were finding their resources and where you know, a lot of their team were that I kind of started really honing in on those areas. And then once that was established, listening again to, to what entrepreneurs were doing, and it was mainly the internet marketers out of the US that were using virtual assistants at this point. And so social media, that sort of stuff, I think it was the ethical uh, nature of the Philippines, you know, the work ethic, the family, the, the reason why they wanted to support businesses, and also talking to Cherry and who she was then talking to. It was really around the Philippines being the best place because the Philippines love working with Australian clients. Big reason being that it's the Australian nature. We have a very different work ethic ourselves, and we're a lot more relaxed as a business owner as well. We're a lot more relaxed in the way we engage, in the way we manage teams. Uh, in the US, it's a lot different, and a lot of our VAs didn't want to work graveyard shift. You know, the time zone difference mm. is very close. Um, we're only two or three hours difference at any one time to the Philippines, and. Everybody in the Philippines that we bring on to our team, every one of them have had been to university. They've got university degrees of some sort. They learn English from a very, very young age. It's part of their curriculum that they learn English. So their English is usually very good when they're well-educated. And they also start working with computers in primary school. So mm. that in itself, all of those skills, all of those talents really lent itself to a great community of people to tap into.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and just listening to you, I was sort of thinking about, you know, use the term zone of genius, which is one that I use as well. We're going to talk about how we're all better off in all sorts of ways in terms of well-being and productivity and, and things that light us up when we get the opportunity to work in our zone of genius or play to our Mm. strengths and it struck me as you were describing kind of those different different cultures and different parts of the world so perhaps that there's sort of cultural zones of genius perhaps there you know that that we do become known and there is an element of a good cultural match in terms of types of tasks types of working but also that interesting match between the types of people who like to work together you know I I can say that yes Mm. I am possibly a little too relaxed sometimes when it oh, comes me <laughs> to how I work with my team and they're yeah. the ones who have to keep me on the straight and narrow and, and yeah. you know, keep me organised, not something I'd ever really considered before. So, mm. And I love that, that you've used the term curious, that this has been driven to such a large extent from the sounds of things by this just curiosity about mm. how things work and why things work and then willingness to try because I think mm. that, again, just allows us to more readily identify and uncover our zone of genius and and perhaps the zone of genius for others from the sounds of things
1: yeah curiosity and connection for me so connection is is probably you know it's a huge value for me and when I realized that I connected on quite a deep level with the stories of the the VAs that we were bringing in I wanted to know about them you know very early in the piece for the the first 5 to 6 years of running the business i was the one interviewing all of the vAs as they came in through the business and i wanted to know about them i could see on their cv that they had skills but i wanted to know what was driving them to be working from home you know because those stories and and their reasons for wanting to be at home were what connected me more with my business and the purpose of what i was doing than just running a global business that supported clients. I mean, five years ago, I probably could have been setting up a company over in the Philippines and having an office and going hell for leather and and doing all of that. But I really pulled back from that. And, you know, a lot of people would say, well, you put a ceiling on your, the ability of what you could have but it was never about that it was never about actually driving volume rather than quality you know it was always about i'm bringing in a, in a client that actually really shares the values that's going to really take care of our team you know work with them beautifully and understand the value and the benefit of having that resource available to them rather than just someone who just wanted a quick fix, get someone on and and not work with us long term. So that's always been very important to me. Mm, So those
0: values, that piece around purpose as driving motivational forces, which, you know, I could bang on about from a psychological point of view, but it's so (laughs) lovely to see that come to life. And I, I mean, I know from my own experience and also Jay, who's been working with me for quite some time, works with another client in Sydney where you are. Yeah. And I can see that that has been just a, a long and fruitful and you know wonderful yeah. relationship there, that kind of connection, the loyalty that comes with that and the mutual yeah. support and mutual respect and mutual admiration. I think probably it all comes into play as well.
1: We've all been through the stages where we've had a real dip in our motivation or a real dip in the inspiration for running our business. And, you know, that was me probably three years ago, two or three years ago, where I just kind of fell off the face of the planet, didn't want to be involved, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, menopause, kids going through challenges. All of those sorts of things. Life and just got hard. Life got hard, you know. And and I really questioned what I was actually doing and and whether or not it was still serving me the way that I was hoping it always would. And funnily enough, it always came back to, you know, if I was ever thinking about selling the business or or doing, you know, stepping out of it, it always came back to no, I can't do that because. I'm way too connected to the people and the people are why I do this. And would I ever trust anybody else with what I've built with the people? And I don't know that I could. I think it would take, I think I'd have a big hole in my heart, not having this and not having, not knowing that I'm actually supporting so many beautiful people, both clients and VAs. So yeah, it comes back to the heart again.
0: And it's so lovely, isn't it, to be able to talk about work and about business in terms like values and heart and connection and people, because they are the human elements that contribute to our success. And like you say, you know, the motivation, the resilience that we need sometimes to persevere, you know, money, turnover, revenue, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, and obviously for some people, that is a real driver, it is a real motivator. But I think probably for many of us, there's so many other aspects to it that really make a difference.
1: And I think when you get all of that, money comes, right?
0: Yes. Yes. Mm. Well, that's certainly what we're starting to understand from a scientific point of view that yes, when we're happy, when we're content, when we're serving our purpose, when we're operating in our zone of genius, um, no matter how hard any of that, and it's not to say any of that's necessarily easy. And I'm sure you would be able to, you know, testify to the fact that this stuff, does not mean that it comes easily or that there isn't a huge amount of hard work and sometimes heartache involved in that Mm. as well. But when we Mm. get to operate from that place, the other stuff does come. The money Mm. comes, the productivity comes, the success in those kind of traditional metrics come. Definitely. Christy, what has it been like for you as somebody who's been involved? It was interesting that you said that when you first started out with this idea, it had come in part because a manager had trusted you to work from home, to work remotely. And for those of us who have worked from home and worked remotely for many years, I know for me, 2020 and the realisation that for a lot of people, this idea, online, video calls, remote teams was very new and maybe somewhat confronting. What was it like for you watching that, having had this long background in working this way already?
1: Yeah, I felt really, really bad, you know, in myself for having, for, for not experiencing such a huge change to the way I was operating. Like a bit of survivor guilt or something. There, yeah, completely. I've got a lot of friends in Melbourne, you know, business friends who somewhere in the travel industry and and what it totally decimated, right? Totally, totally decimated and angry and you know, having to conform to something that was totally new outside of and here I am going about my merry little way with not a change in the world. So yeah, I did feel I felt grateful to start with because this, this whole pandemic has allowed me to thrive, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm very, very grateful for that. My business is thriving because of the fact that people are coming to this realisation that, you know, they can actually get support virtually, they can work from home, they can change the way that they do things. But, yeah, it was definitely that survivor guilt of just feeling like I had it all together and really nothing in my world changed. And
0: did it surprise you that so few people perhaps had considered remote work or online work or any of those sorts of elements, the things that people I now see, lots of workplaces started going, ah, how do we do this? Um, even a year in, mm. they're still grappling a little bit with that. Did that surprise you?
1: Yeah, I think it did. But I think only because I've been doing this for 11, 12 years and I think because I see it around the world you know australia's been a very late adopter to this working from home i mean at the same time you know my husband his company is a huge multinational company and they had done this years ago by Hmm. you know hot desking and you know making sure that everyone works from home and so i think at some level it's happening but at the smaller level, you know, entrepreneurs and small business owners, a lot of us had already been working from home. A mm. lot of us really understood that. It's it's probably the mid-tier businesses that have been hit the hardest. And it's interesting because probably the last month or so, I've started having these, not the small businesses anymore, it's the medium to large businesses coming to me asking about this and and actually saying they really love model that we have of the home-based model. It's amazing that they're now considering that this could actually be something for them, you know. But Mm. yeah, it's strange. But again, it takes something so significant sometimes for people to reimagine the way they do things. And I think that's definitely what COVID has provided us.
0: Yeah, look at I mean disruption. That we, we again, yeah. you know, the, the online entrepreneurial world perhaps more so than anyone else, but but other industries too, you know, starting to use the term disruption as a, a mechanism for thinking about how we do things differently. And this has been disruption on a grand scale.
1: Yes. Well, I just had a so I had a phone call on Friday from a logistics company. So this is where we're heading now. So mm. a major Australian-based logistics company that essentially are now having a look at ways that they can actually change how they operate. So, using virtual assistants for the majority of their purchase order data entry now rather than having somebody in the office sitting there because right now they can't, right? So, mm. so we literally started somebody today working for them doing data wow. entry. Yeah, that's I know fast. that's how quickly it happens, <laughs> right? But they needed a quick solution. Yeah, Friday, Monday needed a fast yeah. solution. And so so they're able to pivot really, really quickly, which is great, you know, once they see the benefit of the solution that virtual workers can provide.
0: And so what do you say to people who, because there will be some people listening, going, oh, we're replacing Australian jobs with, mm. you know, offshore. What What is your response to that?
1: I've been dealing with this for 12 years. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> and I have. And look, you know, I'm not really outspoken about this. You know, I just sit back and I I do what I do. And my point is this. A lot of Australian small businesses would be obsolete and shut down if we didn't have the availability of offshore resources for them. Mm. There is a time and a place for Australian resources. And, you know, I did an activity eight years ago with a certain association. And one of my clients attended their conference and stood up uh, when that point was made and said, you know, it's an outrage. We shouldn't be sending work offshore. And she said, I'd like to have a show of hands as to how many of you know how to do this task. Who, Who knows how to, you know, upload a youtube video to such and such oh and who knows how to do this and you know by this time she got through five things one person was standing in a room of 60 Mm. and she said that's why we go offshore we go offshore because a lot of those digital online skills are not had here you know, there's not enough people with those skills, whereas the Philippines, for example, have been doing this for many, many years because there's been a desire from the US to have those skills. So, so I think the answer is this, that those people that are saying why we're we sending the work offshore, it's actually stimulating our economy by sending it offshore because the businesses that are allowed to continue operating are supporting our economy.
0: Absolutely. And, it, and it's, well, there's an element of that specialisation piece in there as well. And I think too, you mm. know, again, as you were talking about that, I thought really, okay, borders have come back into the picture a little bit now with, with border closures, mm. both locally and internationally. Mm. But if we're talking about a global economy, a global world, and I learn and gain so much from my offshore Team, in terms of my understanding of what it is, you know, the stories we've had long conversations about Mm. how different countries are handling COVID and what it's like for you and how, you know, how does this work there? And so, you know, the opportunity to learn from different cultures, to learn from different experiences across the world, it's sort of, you know, does it really matter if you're on the end of a bit of technology, whether I'm talking to someone in Melbourne, Sydney, Queensland, or the Philippines? It it kind of doesn't, Mm. you know, we're all
1: people.
0: Mm. (laughs) And at the moment, we're all glued together by this experience of a pandemic. We
1: are. And uh, and I think as well, there are certain opportunities for virtual assistance, for example, in Australia, you know, there are definitely opportunities. And if you're a business that doesn't want to send your business offshore, then that's absolutely fine. Those resources, are there available to you if you can afford to pay for them. And I'm not degrading you know, or saying that, you know, virtual assistants in Australia, for example, are any less than virtual assistants or any better than virtual assistants. Mm. And because they charge more doesn't mean that they're better or doesn't mean it's just the economy that we live in in Australia is that's, you know, what we need to charge. And so for me as an agency to provide local virtual assistants, I'd have to be charging so that I make money out of it. I'd then have to be charging so much more, which I just didn't, you know, it didn't suit us. Our clients couldn't afford it.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I had to ask that question because I just thought there will be people who are wondering that. And to be honest, you know, for me too, when I first heard about virtual systems, maybe it's five years ago now, I don't know. I've, I've, like most people, I've lost track of time now. I did have somebody at the supermarket this morning ask me what day it was. Um, So it's (laughs) a common problem. But for me, and I do remember that one of the, uh, probably the first conversation that you and I had I needed to know that the reason that these were offshore resources were for all the right reasons and not just because it was cheaper. Mm -hmm. I came to quickly realise that there's a lot of complexities with dealing with employment in other nations because, every, you know, employment law, for example, is different. There are different cultural practices. There's a whole lot of other elements. And so for me, it was knowing that you had all of that well in hand And that, you know, for all the reasons that you've mentioned already today, that this was happening for the right reasons and that I could feel comfortable in that. And as I said, it's been a a joy and a blessing in so many ways for me.
1: But I think when I'm interviewing clients, if a client is asking me those things, I instantly know they're a values match. Because Mm. if you didn't have an interest in making sure that we were paying them enough, that we were doing all the right things then I'd be quite concerned that you're not actually that interested in their well-being.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense. I'm wondering too, whether, because you did say that the business is thriving and obviously there are organisations, there are people who are looking at doing things differently. Do you have stories of people who have perhaps sought out the help of a virtual assistant because covid has meant given them what i call a moment of covid reflection you know what am i doing <laughs> why am i doing it how am i doing it is this the best way
1: yeah look I, I mean i have probably 10 phone calls a week from people just querying whether or not it's the right choice for them and how they would go about it and i think i had a photographer actually which she's incredible and the the difficulty for her, actually, I won't talk about the photographer, I'll talk about the flute specialist. So, let's do. She teaches flute, right? And normally she'd have people coming in and teaching flute. So, she's pretty much sat down and worked out how she can take her business online completely do her flute lessons online and she's building a little program around that as well and so now she's got a thriving business that has totally changed because she wouldn't have been able to actually teach flute during this this lockdown period and she's brought on a virtual assistant she just wasn't too sure but she's brought on a virtual assistant to help her basically market this new business model Mm. which has been incredible and she's very unsure about about how she wanted to go about it but you know that's an example of someone who's kind of just questioned and not sat in despair you know not sat in the despair of losing students but said how can I use this to my advantage you know what's the opportunity in this disaster what is the the opportunity and and off she's gone and had a great chat with me and we've worked out that we absolutely can do it.
0: And are you finding that there are, I mean, I know I was one of those people I took on my additional, my second VA last year because of a need for all sorts of complicated reasons, like taking on some extra work in a different field and therefore needing more support to do the things that I wanted to keep doing that I had started that I just literally didn't have the time to do anymore. And like I said, you know, it's been a blessing in so many ways because I've discovered all of these things that I was still doing, like sorting through my own inbox (laughs) that I discovered it was far more satisfying to have somebody else do that. Are there other people like, that for whom, you know, yeah. COVID's just gone, oh, there must be a better way?
1: Yeah, look, I, seriously, probably the, the majority of calls that are coming through at the moment are small businesses that have just started. So, there might be business coaches or, you know, in those sorts of areas where they've decided that they're not established enough to have enough clients online to support them. So, what they've done is they've gone back to a full-time project role. So, it might be that they've gone back and worked in a a large corporate full-time, but they don't want to lose the traction that they've got on their small business. So, they've hired a virtual assistant to actually maintain their social media, they're managing their emails, and just basically slowly start to keep that going so that Mm. they're not losing time on that that they're keeping it going. So there's probably three or four businesses in the last month that are doing that, which it is a trend definitely that I'm seeing that people are realising that they can't sustain or uh, photographer business, like I said, she came to me and literally her whole business was weddings and obviously that's not happening at the moment and so she's just basically taken a step back and gone to work in an office role for whatever and she's got a VA just managing her online store and you know making sure that things are ticking over so yeah look definitely definitely uh, a trend.
0: Yeah. And I, look, I love the creativity behind all of this. I, I love that, you know, like you said before, that we could sit back and despair. And of course, we're all allowed our moments of despair as well, because, you know, this has been tough. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What well, I say it has been, still it is, is, as we both converse from lockdown. Yeah. But it, it's about that, you know, yeah, I think you said it right at the beginning, instead of what can I control? What can I control? Actually focusing in on the things that I can do. So even Mm. if that has meant for some people, perhaps to some extent parking what they were working on, because aside from anything else, you know, it's being in lockdown, being in the middle of a global pandemic, it takes up a lot of brain space just existing you know? Yeah, it's tiring. It's <laughs> just existing. So it's tiring. Is, is tiring. And I know, you know, for me last year in particular, it was just like, because the marketing element of running a business is such a big component. And I knew that I just didn't have... I I just couldn't literally with children Mm. at home, homeschooling, everything else that was going on. That was the piece that took the most from me physically, psychologically, and um, I didn't have the capacity to keep doing that. So it was, you know, let's look at the other options. And for me, and from the sounds of things for like lots of people, the addition of a VA to the team and the support from an existing VA, you know, has just made a world of difference because you don't want to let go of everything you've built up while you have to have this kind of momentary or perhaps longer term slight pivot,
1: (laughs) slight change
0: in strategy.
1: And I think that's that pride as well, you know, it's that a lot of people think that they have to admit a defeat in just parking that, but it's not. We've got to live. We have to be able to afford to live. And if your dream and your passion project of setting up and going on off on your own business isn't able to provide that for you and you've got to take a step back into, you know, what does provide, then go and do that. But don't feel like it's a defeat. It's a momentary lapse in building that project and it can still stay there. It can still slowly Mm. tick Mm. along with the help of a virtual assistant until you're ready to come back into it.
0: Absolutely. It's adaptability, which is what we're all doing right now, isn't it?
1: It's adapting
0: to change which is not right, wrong, or otherwise. And it's accepting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, Christy, what has it been like for you in all of this? I mean, the business does sound like it's thriving, uh, which is wonderful, but, you know, I'm I'm guessing that it's not all rainbows and unicorns. Um, Have there been difficult or challenging times and how have you
1: dealt with that? Yeah, look, absolutely. There's been challenging, difficult times. You know, before COVID really hit... So 2019, obviously going through some challenges, I've you know, got two teenage children, one with fairly serious mental health concerns that we've been dealing with. So that's in itself has been taking a lot of my time learning about emotional coaching and you know all of those sorts of things. So that's kind of almost been full time. The business actually took a step back before COVID anyway, and when COVID hit, Again, a step back. I also run a junior AFL club here in Sydney. Goodness, busy lady. In my spare time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, again, you know, that for six years, that's kind of been my full time role rather than my own business because my own business is systemized enough that it can pretty much operate on me doing 20% of the work and my team doing 80%. So, I had 80% of my time sitting there, so I needed to fill it with something, so there we go. So with with lockdown, it's been hard because the AFL isn't happening. It's not operating, and I've got two teenage kids that need their sport for their mental health so that Mm. in itself has been a challenge to get them out of their rooms and active and you know doing something the AFL provided that structure it provided me with a community to actually be a Mm. part of every weekend so without that yeah big challenge Um, but what it, it has allowed me to do is take a step back into my business The business was second fiddle to all of these other things for the last three years. And now I'm just seeing the benefit of not having all of the other busyness and being able to step back into it and really evaluate why I'm there and what I'm doing. And that's actually been a blessing. So, you know, whilst there's Hassles around, you know, sitting here in the corner of my bedroom having to do Zoom calls, you in your kitchen having to do yours with kids in the background and dogs barking. And, you know, they're the things that everybody is going through at the moment through COVID having to be homebound. And not having that, we were talking about this earlier, not having a place that you can actually, a space that you can call your own Mm -hmm. where you feel like you can be creative and you can actually really blossom i just am moved around from post to pillar and not really having that space i'm craving that space
0: Mm, yes. I think one of the interesting things about people, those of us who have worked from home for a long time is that it's all very well to say, oh, you're still just working from home, but you're not usually working from home with the with whole family, else, aren't you? <laughs> I know and that's quite different. <laughs> it's almost very. like everybody's moved into my office. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. Because, you know, from eight o'clock in the morning until four o'clock in the afternoon, it was our space and we could actually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do what we want. I mean, I, I remember my husband works from home as well. So he's always in my space too. But when he has to go and see someone, you know, a client meeting, I'd be having my music on and I'd have my candle burning and I'd have, you know, and life was great. And I was in my zone and working, but the minute someone else comes back into that, it changes the energy.
0: And that is a whole other conversation that we could have, Christy, about how to set up home offices. I know we're working on a house build at the moment and I am designing my dream home office oh. that will be complete with everything I need for podcasting and video, but also just my space. Amazing. Yeah, which which I think is something that we will all be thinking about into the future regarding yeah. home office. It, it's not just about having the desk and the monitors and those sorts of things, but there is mm. there is probably a whole. Well, I know there's a whole other conversation. There's a mental aspect, yeah. There is so, mm. but we're going to have to hold on to that one for another day. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a glorious conversation about. I, I think if there was a theme to it, is probably about adaptability. Yeah. It is about adapting to change as a business, as a human the possibilities that thinking differently about how we work, with whom we work, and all of that lovely stuff about the values connection and that being mm. a driving force.
1: And curiosity, stay curious curiosity. about how you Absolutely. could do things different.
0: Absolutely. So yes. I'm, I'm hoping I'm quite sure that our audience will be inspired by everything that you've said, whatever, wherever. <laughs> you know, this is all applicable to so many different elements of life, whether or not you run your own business and are looking for support or not. I think the notions of adaptability, of of values based work, of connection, of curiosity, just underpins so many things that we do in our lives and that that all support our well being. So thank you very much, Christy, for everything that you've shared. Thanks. Ellen. Thank you. We will pop all of your details and the details of Virtual Elves in the show notes for today's episode so that you can find out more. And of course, I'm quite sure that Christy would love to hear from you if you have any questions, particularly about not just the services she provides, but maybe even a little bit about how you build up a business and survive through difficult times. Christy, thanks again for being here. Thanks, Ellen. There were so many great things about that conversation with Christy, weren't there? I hope it gave you some good ideas about how you might work better, even if you don't run your own business or perhaps see a need for a virtual assistant. I think for many of us, just a reminder that sometimes we need to loosen our grip a little to let go of the need for tight control and perhaps just try something different. And that can be enormously powerful. I also love the idea of identifying your zone of genius or maybe your team's zone of genius, maybe your entire workplace's zone of genius, and working to that rather than trying to do everything or be everything to everyone because we know that is the quick path to burnout, really. If you're keen to learn more about Christy and Virtual Elves, we've put the link to her website and social media channels in the show notes. There you'll also find a transcript of our conversation, and we do in fact create a transcript of every episode of the show. We've included links to Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion, including some of her books, a great conversation between Dr. Neff and Scott Barry Kaufman of the Psychology Podcast, one of my favourite shows to listen to. And there's a quiz to test your self-compassion that is on Dr. Neff's website, and we've linked to it from the show notes and our website. So what's coming up on the show next? Well, there's exciting thing's coming up. Next episode, we're celebrating our 100th episode. And to celebrate and acknowledge that milestone, and it is a big milestone, I'm really excited to be talking to Dr. Joe Mitchell, who was in fact our very first guest on the show back when we started in early 2018. And in that discussion, Joe and I talked about screw-ups and steps to happiness. And it was a wonderful conversation and really my first taste of where these curious conversations about what makes us tick when we're at our best could lead. And as it turns out, that first conversation has led to another 90-something conversations and a few solo chats just between you and I along the way. And so now we're back. Full circle talking to Joe again and here's a little sneak peek of that conversation.
1: People will come in because they are living with maybe an established mental health issue or it's their first time experiencing a mental illness but also people come in
0: because they want to do better at their life and they figure that there's something internally that's perhaps holding them back and we can help them explore that. I have a delightful client who she said to her friends that she was seeing me after she'd been a few times and they immediately their response was to go into oh what's going on are you okay and she went yeah I'm fine, but I just want to be premium. (laughs) I love that idea of, yeah, go see your
1: psychologist because you want to be premium.
0: So that is episode 100 of the Potential Psychology podcast. It'll be back in your ears in a week or so. There are also some other exciting developments which I will talk to you about, like, everything, I suppose, in our world right now. COVID has given us an opportunity to pivot a little to use an overused phrase to get creative and we'll be doing that for next season of the show so in episode 100 i'll tell you a little bit about that we'll have that joyous conversation with dr joe mitchell thank you so much for being here with me today if you've enjoyed today's episode hit subscribe and stay tuned so that you can have next week's next week ish whenever it arrives sometime soon the next episode, episode 100, arrive in your podcast feed as soon as it does. If you'd like to tell us a little about what you think of the show, do that too. You can pop a review in Apple Podcasts or on any of the other platforms that accept reviews. You're also very welcome to send me a message via our website. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you think. And I'm very much looking... And there's my dog. That's podcasting in a pandemic for you in lockdown with your dog. So thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm very much looking forward to being back with you soon. Coco says goodbye.